Okay, and remember there's a reception afterwards. Cake, punch, get a sugar high before we uh, eat Sunday dinner. I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to Romans chapter 16, beginning with verse 17. That's on page 950 of your pew Bibles. As you're turning there, thank you for your prayers uh, for me and Lynn. Five weeks down of treatment, four to go, and the Lord has been faithful, and appreciate your prayers. Uh, But hear God's word, Romans 16, beginning with verse 17 and reading through the 20th verse. Hear the word of God. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we we thank you for your church. Uh, We thank you, uh, Lord, that it is the pillar and foundation of truth as we stand upon the truth of your word as we love and live out the gospel that was proclaimed to us in Christ and truly in all of Scripture. And Lord, teach us uh, what it means to be wise about what is good, to be innocent as to what is evil as we walk in faith with Christ. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Just over a hundred years ago, May the 21st, 1922, a minister by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick preached one of his most famous sermons uh, from the pulpit of Old First Presbyterian Church in New York City. Actually, Fosdick uh, had been raised as a Baptist, ordained as a Baptist, but he had been called to uh, this historic church in New York City. The title of his famous sermon was this, Shall the fundamentalists win? And it was based actually on scripture, on Acts chapter 5, verses 34 through 39. But in this sermon, Fosdick took issue with Christian fundamentalists. That's what they were called, and you'll understand that expression here in a minute. Um, Fundamentalists. Uh, who believed that uh, the Bible was inspired by God, 
uh, believed in the virgin birth of Christ, believed that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. Uh, They believed that Christ died on the cross as a propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. But with his smooth talk, Fosdick proclaimed that he did not believe in the divinity of Christ. He didn't believe the Bible was the word of God, didn't believe in Christ's atoning death for our sins on the cross, didn't believe in Christ's second coming as a literal event. You know, Fosdick believed, rather believed that a religious belief, and these were his words in the day of Charles Darwin, that Christian faith, religious belief, should evolve and that love would triumph over intolerance. That was his charge against the fundamentalists. They were not loving and that they were intolerant. Sounds still true today. Finally, he believed that, quote, traditionalist Christian doctrine could not thrive in the modern world. Rather than bringing unity to the church, Fosdick brought division. And while the Apostle Paul did not hear Fosdick's famous sermon, I believe this passage of scripture before us today, Romans 16, 17 through 20, addresses gospel division and gospel deceivers. And they're still surrounding us um, in our day, in 2022. And as we look at these portions of scripture and would invite you, encourage you to keep your Bibles open, uh, Romans 16, verse 17, page 950 of our Pew Bibles, we, we see here that God's word still cautions us about gospel deceivers and provides gospel comfort in Christ. You know, and three truths here today. We'll see a gospel caution or cautions. There'll be a gospel commendation in verse 19. And then finally, gospel comfort there in verse 20. Uh, we begin with gospel cautions in God's word. Now, verse 17 of Romans 16 catches us. Uh, by surprise a little bit. Remember, thus far in Romans 16, Paul has been greeting all those Christians there in, in Rome, seemingly meeting in house churches, a lot of names that we've seen there in uh, these 16 verses. But now in Romans 16, 17, God's word takes a sharp turn. From Paul's call to welcome Christians to to a warning for the church. Look there at verse 17. Um, A a word that's not translated in our ESV is actually the word now. Now I appeal to you, brothers brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to to the doctrine that you have been taught. Put it in different language here. First, the apostle Paul calls the Christians there in Rome to be vigilant. Always stay awake, to to keep your eyes open. 
uh, to um, the gospel opponents all around you, and even within the church. It seemed that these troublemakers in the church like to camouflage themselves. Oh, we're just like one of you. We, we believe the same thing. But when you scratch the surface, you see that there are distinctly different gospel beliefs. You know, be vigilant for those who cause divisions or dissensions, those who seek to start spiritual feuds. We see that same word about divisions used in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20. Well, beginning with verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. This is just before the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You know, they're, they're works of the flesh. You know, they're sinful works. You know, Calvin wrote that divisions occur when, quote, the truth of God is mixed with new dogmas devised by men. You know, beware of someone who says, oh, I just, you know, I have, have, have a truth here that I see in Scripture that no one has ever seen before. You know, be vigilant against those who cause division. Secondly, and create obstacles. You know, dead-end discussions. You know, they, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Swiss Family Robinson, and yes, it's a movie I would commend to you, you know, the one son builds tiger pits. You know, you have to see the movie to fully understand it, but, you know, you dig a hole and you cover it with branches and leaves and so the tiger you hang a piece of meat over it you know and then the tiger comes and boom falls into the pit that's what these deceivers those who are causing divisions dissensions are are doing here creating obstacles and then he gets to the core contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught this is divisive teaching that dismisses the gospel truths of Romans. And just to give a quick overview, what, what, have we, what has God's word been proclaiming here in Romans? The righteousness of God, our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, our need for the imputed righteousness of Christ, the need for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As well, God's gracious work of of grafting in the Gentiles, in with God's people, the call to gospel service. You know, it's been said, Robert Haldane said, quote, Indeed, Romans is an abridgment of all that is taught in the Christian religion. You know, so as we've been going through Romans, not that it's the most important book of the Bible, you know, there are 65 other books, but, but it's, it's vital for our understanding of, of what Scripture teaches us about Christ, about salvation, about God's saving grace. You know, in his Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus calls even the early Christians to be vigilant. Matthew 7, verse 15 and 16. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thorn bushes? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You know, be be vigilant. But then in... Still in that same verse, the Apostle Paul commands them, avoid them. Or to use another word, shun them. You know, it's a clear and a compassionate command. When these false teachers try to bait you into fruitless arguments, not that we should never have discussions, engage with unbelievers, you know, but don't let them sway you. Don't let them overwhelm you with their seemingly plausible unscriptural arguments. You know, J.C. Ryle put it this way, What is the best safeguard against false doctrine? The Bible regularly read, regularly prayed over, and regularly studied. You know, so when those false teachers come to your door... You know, have, have your Bible, you know, by, by that front door. By the way, don't let them into your house. You go out. You know, and they generally use other translations of Scripture, so that's why it's helpful to have your own Bible. Uh, but, you know, as well, it, it, there is a time for us just to shun them, avoid them. But finally there, still thinking of gospel cautions, verse 18, God's word calls us to be discerning. You know, this verse starts with a a touch of contempt for such people. You know, that's not a commendation. Such people, sinful people, deceivers, those who cause divisions, create obstacles. You know, again, keep your Bibles open. You know, as you take a good hard look, you know, at the walk of faith of these false teachers. You know, listen to their, to their proclamation. Is it a proclamation that honors God or is it a man-centered gospel? You know, God's word exposes their flaws of faith. Look what Paul says. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. No man can serve two masters. We're either serving Christ or we're serving ourselves, serving Satan. You know, they selfishly and sinfully serve themselves, their own appetites, literally their own bellies. You know, you can identify these imposters. You know, yes, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They serve their own appetites, smooth talk and flattery. You know, they, they sound good. You know, very convincing. They, they've got wonderful voices. Smile on their face, maybe, as they're, as they're talking, you know, like a polished politician running for re-election. You know, they, they tickle your ears. You know, but there's a problem 
You know, look again, the last part of verse 18. They deceive the hearts of the naive. You know, they're, they're looking to deceive. It's a false gospel. It's been called a counterfeit gospel. You know, it looks like the real deal, but it's worthless. They deceive the hearts of the naive. Help you understand that word naive. One who is guileless and free from guilt. It's a word actually used of Christ in Hebrews 7.26. Christ, a high priest who is holy Innocent, that's the word, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. I recently rediscovered, think of it this way, a a new book in my pile of need-to-be-read books. You know, and and some of you maybe can identify with that, you know, you're... You're buying another book. Oh, man, this book is going to be great. I need to read this soon. Adds to the pile. And what happens is, you know, the new books go at the top of the pile and the older books are at the bottom of the pile. But I rediscovered a book that I had forgotten about. It's entitled Counterfeit Gospels, Rediscovering the Good News in a World of False Hope, written by Trevin Wax. Uh, he, in this book, he exposes and then provides a biblical response to what he calls six current counterfeit gospels. This was written back not too long ago, 2011. And the six counterfeit gospels are these therapeutic, judgmentless, moralist, quietist, activist, and churchless. If you want to learn more, I'll be glad to loan you my book. I'm not sure when I'll read the whole thing. But the one that struck me hard, that grabbed my attention, was that counterfeit gospel called the therapeutic gospel. He explains it this way. A therapeutic gospel would see sin and man's fall as the failure of humans to reach their potential. Sin is primarily about us, as it robs us of our sense of fullness. It proclaims that Christ's death proves our inherent worth as human beings and gives us the power to reach our full potential. It's the church's role, then, to help us along in our quest for personal happiness and vocational fulfillment. You know, they would say what religion is all about is for you to feel good about yourself. You know, don't worry. Be happy. Um, It's a counterfeit gospel. You know, and, you know, when your friends and family uh, recommend a religious book, you you need to watch this YouTube video of this preacher, this Bible teacher, this tremendous teacher. You know, I'm not saying turn it down, but make sure you listen to it with an open Bible, you know, a a pen, paper at hand. You know, what are they really teaching? Are they teaching scriptural truth or are they teaching a man-centered gospel? Ask yourself these questions. One, does their teaching agree with all of scripture? Secondly, 
Does it glorify the person and work of Christ? And third, do they speak of sin, repentance, and the cross of Christ? You know, if not, turn it off. Just say, thank you very much. So gospel cautions in God's word. These these are still gospel cautions that we need to hear and heed today. But there's a gospel commendation for obedient Christians there in verse 19. Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, for your obedience is known to all, your obedience of faith. You show the fruit of your faith in Christ with your loving obedience. You see that theme of obedience uh, throughout Romans, even though it speaks of God's grace. It's spoken of there in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You see it again in 6.16 and then at the end of Romans, Romans 16.26. You know, their obedience bears witness to their faith and trust in Christ and the power of his transforming grace to, to change the hardest of hearts you know we're not saved by our obedience we're not saved by our good works but our obedience our loving obedience our glad obedience shows that we are trusting in Christ and we we delight um, to hear and to obey God's commands you know it's a holy contrast with the false prophets you know why should we obey came across a a quote this week from Joel Beakey he writes the Christian cannot enjoy high levels of assurance while he persists in low levels of obedience you know hear that again the Christian cannot enjoy high levels of assurance while he persists in low levels of obedience you know, he commends them for their obedience. He, he rejoices, again in verse 19, I, I rejoice over you. I rejoice that you're trusting in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation. I rejoice in your obedient faith. I rejoice that you are hearing these gospel cautions against false teachers. You know, but there's... A a prayerful desire, even as he is commending them. Look at the last part of of verse 19. But I want you, it's my wish, my prayer, that you all be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You know, wise. You know, when I think of that word wisdom... Uh, Proverbs 1.7 comes to mind. Proverbs 1.7. I'm sure many of you know this by heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we want to be wise. Not wise in our own eyes, but wise in the ways of God. Think of Jesus again, you know, lest you think, well, this is just the Apostle Paul. 
You know, what, what did Jesus say? Again, in Matthew. You know, it was his prayer for his followers, Matthew ten sixteen, that they would be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Or to quote someone else, not Jesus, but Charles Hodge, Paul would have them wise to know how to take care of themselves and yet harmless. Wise and innocent. That that word innocent speaks of a a purity of faith. Philippians 2.15 puts it this way, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, what, what a great prayer, you know, to, to pray for ourselves, to pray for our children, pray for one another, pray for this church. Lord, pray that we would be wise as to what is good, good in your eyes, good according to your word, innocent as to what is evil. Oh, there, there's a great temptation today for, for Christians to say, well, I, I need to know the culture around me. I need to see all those unhealthy, unholy movies or listen to this music or, or hang around in these places you know, so that I can truly understand the world around me. And I'm not saying we should... You know, see, how does it go? See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. You know, but, but we ought to be innocent, pure, unstained by the ways of this world. You know, a gospel commendation for obedient children. It's good for parents to commend their children when they obey. You know, it's good for teachers to commend their students when they listen to the instructions, do well in their study. You know, it's good even for preachers to commend their congregations, you know, when they witness them obeying God's word and steering clear of the evil around them. Spurgeon used to put it this way, and I love the illustration, you can't keep birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building nests in your hair. You know, you will see evil. You will hear that evil. But there are times as well to flee from that evil. You know, a gospel commendation for obedient children. And Paul again takes a 90 degree spiritual turn here with verse 20. We go from a gospel caution to gospel commendation, and finally gospel comfort for faithful Christians. Romans sixteen twenty almost seems like another benediction. You know, remember Romans fifteen thirty three. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And many thought, well, that was Paul's benediction. Romans ought to end at the end of chapter fifteen. Now we have another benediction. You know, here, Romans 16, 20, but the final benediction we'll look at in a, a few Sundays of Romans 16, 25 through 27. You know, but, but here it's uh, uh, words of gospel comfort for Christians. 
for Christians in Rome who were struggling, suffering for their faith in Christ. I believe it's gospel comfort for us, for Christians here at Hope Presbyterian Church. It's gospel comfort for Christians all around the world. Note how it begins. It begins with an attribute of God, the God of peace. And the God of peace. what, What a glorious gospel truth to be meditating upon. You know, our our triune God, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the sole and sovereign source of a believer's peace. I believe if we look for peace in anything else, we'll, we'll always be disappointed. Now may the God of peace, the God who possesses peace, he's the source of peace. But as well, he is a God who graciously makes peace with us as rebellious sinners by his gospel work of justifying us by the death and resurrection of Christ. Now remember Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Romans 5 1, therefore since we have been justified by faith, that's faith in Christ, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and now may the, may the God of peace, the God that said, Jim Boyce put it this way, the God of peace who, quote, makes peace, makes peace by destroying the enmity between him and us and our sin and by defeating Satan. Now may the God of peace And if that's not sweet enough, it gets sweeter. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, next time you you look at the news, you know, have your Bible open to Romans 16, 20. You know, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, remember the gospel prophecy of Genesis 3.15. After Adam and Eve's fall into sin, you know, after the Lord had pronounced his curse, always pronouncing it upon the serpent, Satan, Genesis 3.15, this is God himself speaking. I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. The offspring of woman, that's pointing ahead to Christ. You know, in his true humanity, truly God, truly human. And the he shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Believe that Satan bruised Christ's heel there at the cross. He thought he had Christ defeated. Wasn't he surprised on the third day? You know, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Satan will be finally and fully defeated on Judgment Day. Now, that's the good news of Revelation. You know, Christ conquers, worthy of worship, and Satan is finally defeated. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. 
And the devil who had deceived them, there again that word, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, notice that word, and it struck me, I think, the first time. It doesn't just say the God of peace will soon crush Satan. You know, look at that little phrase, under your feet. You know, Satan has been defeated at the cross of Calvary. You know, the other bookend there is Satan will be finally and fully defeated, destroyed there on that judgment day. You know, but God is even now crushing Satan. And how does he do it? Under your feet. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. You know, how is the Lord using his church and his gospel servants to defeat Satan I believe every Lord's Day as we gather together for worship and exult and praise the name of Jesus Christ, sing his praises, study his word, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You know, Satan, the Lord uses that to crush Satan under our feet. You know, when we gladly proclaim Christ and his completed work at the cross, you know, in our gospel witness, when we, we use the word of God, proclaim the word of God by the power of his Holy Spirit, and sinners come to a saving faith in Christ, you know, this scripture is fulfilled. The God of peace will crush Satan, soon crush Satan under your feet. You know, think of it there. You know, one other way that the God of peace crushes Satan. You know, I believe in our faithful prayers. You know, there, read Ephesians chapter 6, that gospel armor, and what's at the very end there? You know, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, you know, speaks of the power of gospel prayer. Let me read it for us. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You know, our our prayers that the Lord would use us to proclaim the gospel, our prayers for missionaries, who are serving the Lord in foreign cultures, praying for the ministries we support, for Hope for Opelousas, for the Refinery Mission, for French Camp Academy, just to name a few. You know, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And finally, a word of assurance there, giving us even more comfort. The attribute of God, the God of peace, the action of God will soon crush Satan under your feet. But the assurance of God, you know, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, literally with you all, to all the Christians there. You know, God's saving grace, 
You know, God's sanctifying grace, helping us to die more and more unto sin, live unto righteousness, live that life that's honoring, pleasing, glorifying to God. You know, our opening hymn today was uh, The Church's One Foundation, written back in 1866. Um, So Samuel Stone had uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick beat. But listen again. Uh, I know the words weren't in the bulletin, but, you know, here are two of the verses that give us comfort and hope and strength in Christ. The first verse, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She, the church, is her new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And then the fourth verse, the church shall never perish her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish, is with her to the end, though there be those that hate her and false sons, we could say false prophets within her pale, against a foe or traitor, she ever will prevail. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, may may we still heed, hear and heed these gospel cautions and find the true hope and comfort in our God of peace, the God who gives us peace by his grace through faith in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, our Father and our God, we thank you that you are the God of truth. We thank you that Jesus, your son, our Savior, proclaimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And uh, Lord, even as we have heard these gospel cautions, commendations, and comfort, Lord, I, I pray that we would all know the truth of the gospel, that we are sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. Pray that you would give us, Lord, remind us of that assurance we know in that comfort that we uh, taste in this life, but we will know in its fullness one day in glory as we behold our, our risen Savior. And we give you thanks always in Jesus' name. Amen.